welcome to the Wrestling House Show mini-episode for Night 2 of New Japan Pro Wrestling's G1 Climax 29. My name is Chris, and tonight I'll be bringing you all the results and recaps you can handle for the opening night of B-Block matches in this year's G1 Tournament. If you missed my mini-ish episode covering the first round of A-Block matches, then go to cnjradio.com, where Joey and I talk about experiencing the G1 Climax live and in-person in Dallas, Texas. Tonight's episode is mostly about B-Block, though, so I'll briefly be talking about the first five matches of the B-side of the tournament, as well as the four tag previews of the next round of A-Block. As a fair warning to those of you who might want to go watch the replays of the G1 fresh and with no spoilers, I will be talking about the results of all the matches tonight. It's not really reasonable to talk about a tournament like this without getting into match spoilers, so here is your spoiler alert. If you want to check out a brief spoiler-free recap, go to cnjradio.com and check out my written recap and reviews for all the shows. The results of those are hidden until you choose to click on them, and I do also plan to do a best of the G1 show at the end of the tournament, but that's going to be about a month away because the tournament officially ends on August 12th. But this intro is getting a little long, and these episodes are supposed to be many, so let's get right down to tonight's results. Night 2 of the G1 Climax 29 took place in Ota City General Gymnasium in Tokyo, Japan on July 13th, 2019 with a 6.30pm bell time. Night 1 of the tournament started with a featured tag match pitting the former junior heavyweight tag champs versus the current heavyweight tag champs, but Night 2 tonight felt more like what I expect the tournament will be from here on out. All four of the opening matches tonight were tag previews for the following night's tournament matches, so tonight the people facing each other in the next round of A block will be paired up in tag matches. Night 2 opened up with the Los Ingobernables de Japón team of Bushi, Sonata, and Evil versus Young Lion, Yuya Uemura, teaming up with the junior heavyweight champ Will Ospreay and Kota Ibushi. Now, Kevin Kelly seemed to have his notes mixed up a bit tonight because he did get a few things wrong, although he did correct himself. But Kelly had initially said that this was a unique preview because it would actually be tag partners facing each other rather than opponents. But that wasn't true. The Sonata versus Evil and Osprey versus Abushi matches won't be happening until a later round. The previews tonight were actually for Sonata versus Osprey and Abushi versus Evil. Now, three of those men suffered losses in the first round of A Block. Evil fell to Fale in a brawl, Osprey got beat up by Lance Archer, and Ibushi probably had the toughest loss in his match against Kenta. Ibushi posted a picture recently of his ankle on social media, I think it was probably the day after the start of A Block, and his ankle looked real bad. It was swollen to what seemed like about twice its size. He had both of his ankles in the picture, so you could kind of judge how much bigger it had gotten. So it wasn't broken, thankfully, but it didn't look good at all. And the break between nights 1 and 2 of the G1, I believe, is the longest break that there will be in the tournament. It was a full week between nights 1 and 2, so Ibushi had the longest time to recover that he possibly could have, but he was clearly hurting in this opening tag match. Ibushi isn't someone who will willingly ever show how much he's hurting, though. I think we've seen that all year in his big matches, especially. So he actually started this match against Evil, his opponent in the next round of B-Block matches. 
And of course, Evil quickly focused on Ibushi's ankle, and that kind of set the tone for the entire match. LIJ worked as a unit and triple-teamed Ibushi until Osprey finally got tagged in. And then Osprey and Sonata had a nice sequence in the middle of the match, but I'm pretty sure while we were watching them in the ring, Evil was taking every opportunity he could to attack Ibushi's ankle outside the ring. You could hear Kevin Kelly and Rocky Romero, who was actually on the call, talking about how Evil was wrapping Abushi's ankle around the post and just punishing him on the outside. The young lion, Uemura, got tagged in last, and being the only young lion in this match, it was not a big surprise when Uemura took the fall tonight. Bushi got the pin on Uemura after a codebreaker, but the real story was Ibushi. I had picked Ibushi as my hopeful winner of the whole tournament on our first mini-episode for the G1 this year, but I think with this ankle injury, it's, it's just going to play a huge factor as the G1 just gets tougher and more intense over the month. At this point, I really just hope he can finish all of his matches. Moving on, the second match tonight felt a little bit like a mirror match. It was the Bullet Club team of Bad Luck Fale and Chase Owens versus the Suzuki-Goon team of Lance Archer and Yoshinobu Kanemaru. Now, both groups are known for brawling and cheating a lot, and both teams tonight featured a super heavyweight with a much smaller guy. And I know Owens isn't a junior like Kanemaru is, but he's definitely closer to Kanemaru's size than he is to Fale. So just looking at him, these, both of these teams looked very similar, and it kind of played out that way throughout the match, especially in the beginning part. Fale and Archer started the match against each other because they will be facing each other in the next round of A-block matches. And as they got into the ring and the bell rang, both of their tag partners had the same idea to attack their larger opponent from behind as Fale and Archer had their backs turned. So in unison, Kanemaru and Owens got into the ring and attacked Fale and Archer respectively. And of course, neither plan worked. Fale and Archer both slowly turned around and dealt with their smaller opponents and then turned back to each other to give us a little bit of a preview of the next round of A Block. This was fine overall. It was kind of short, but I expect the Archer versus Fale match itself to be kind of short anyway, so it made sense. Archer and Fale pounded on each other for a while, but then Owens and Kanemaru kind of took over in the end, and they ended the match against each other. Owens continued to be quietly impressive in his offense in the ring, and he ended up kind of dominating Kanemaru in the end, and Owens did get the victory tonight. This was a fine match, but it was probably the one I was least interested in overall on tonight's show. But match three was kind of unique among tonight's tag previews. The preview matchup was for Kenta versus Hiroshi Tanahashi, but this really felt like a Young Lions match overall. Tanahashi was teamed with Shota Umino and Ren Narita, two of the top Japanese Young Lions, and Kenta was teamed with two American Young Lions from the LA Dojo, Carl Fredericks and Clark Connors. Before the match started, Kenta and Tanahashi were shoving each other a little, but once the match got underway, this felt more like a contest of dominance between the Japanese and the American Young Lions. Narita started the match against Connors, and Kevin Kelly often talks about Narita's amateur wrestling background, and it looked like Connors might have some amateur skills as well. They mat wrestled each other for a bit, then the larger two Young Lions, Umino and Fredericks, had their turn in the ring. Umino and Fredericks both wrestled more of a power game, 
But what was really fun for me was seeing the differences between the Japanese and American young lions. I don't really know how different the training is between the two dojos, or if it's different at all. And their movesets, all of the young lions' movesets, didn't seem too terribly different. But what struck me was the differences in attitude. The Japanese young lions often have this kind of quiet intensity about them. They always run into the ring when they are introduced, and they're eager to be the first to face the biggest challenges in the ring with in a respectful but intense way. The American young lions seemed more in your face about their intensity. Rather than seeming like they wanted to prove to themselves that they were better by beating their opponents, the Americans seemed like they already felt that they were better and they were just going to show everyone else. I suppose that came across a little more as arrogance than the Japanese young lions do to me. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, it's just different, and I think it really helped make the match a lot of fun to watch. The attitudes and aggression of Connors and Fredericks helped push Umino and Narita to stand up maybe a little higher than they might have if they were just facing two other Japanese young lions. It felt like Umino and Narita were defending their territory and maybe their spot against Fredericks and Connors, and it was really cool to see them take ownership of the ring like that. As far as the wrestling goes, I think Fredericks looked a little bit better than Connors, and Umino and Narita looked better overall than both of the Americans. Of course, Umino and Narita are probably the next two young lions that are going to go off on excursion, so it's no surprise that they looked a little better overall tonight. Saying that though, Fredericks did force Narita to submit in the end to a pretty painful looking half Boston Crab. Oh, and Kenta and Tanahashi did have a fine interaction in this match as well. It did surprise me a little how much the Young Lions took over this match, that Kenta and Tanahashi were kind of secondary in my mind. At least their portion of the match was secondary to what this match seemed like it was all about. But I do think that's kind of a good thing for Tanahashi and Kenta. The G1 is a tough tournament. And these tag matches should really save the energy for the tournament competitors as much as possible. And I think we saw that idea come across a lot tonight, except for maybe Ibushi and his ankle. The fourth and final tag preview tonight featured the Suzuki-Goon team of Zack Sabre Jr. and Minoru Suzuki versus the Chaos team of Yoshihashi and the current IWGP heavyweight champion Kazuchika Okada. Sabre and Okada will face each other in the next round, and they started this match against each other. Like a lot of guys do, Okada tried to match technical skill with Sabre, and like most guys, Sabre generally got the better of Okada in this segment of the match. Okada would start to pull ahead when he changed over to his own strengths with some slams and strikes and dropkicks and things like that. Okada did kind of get put on the sideline for a lot of this match, though. Yoshihashi tagged in, and Saber and Suzuki teamed up to punish him pretty much throughout most of the rest of the match. Minoru Suzuki still seems super pissed about being left out of the G1 this year, and he took out his frustrations on anyone within arm's reach, including a young lion who got a little bit too close when Suzuki was brawling with Yoshihashi on the outside. Saber and Suzuki, no surprise, worked great as a tag team tonight, and Saber kind of made short work of his former challenger for the RPW British Heavyweight title. Recently, Saber has Yoshihashi's number, and I think Saber might have Okada's number in the next round of the tournament. We shall see. But that brings us to the first of tonight's tournament matches. The first match in the B block in the 29th G1 Climax was... Shingo Takagi vs. Juice Robinson. 
This match, to me, had some very interesting stories, Just even just coming into it. Like Will Ospreay, Shingo is a light heavyweight coming into the G1. And granted, Shingo is definitely one of the bigger, if not the biggest junior, but he still has a huge challenge ahead of him, I think. Shingo is going from being the bigger man in nearly every match to being probably the smaller man in nearly every match. And Joey and I talked on the last mini-episode about how Osprey would have to slightly modify his style to adjust to his bigger opponents, but I don't think Shingo really has to do as much as Osprey will. Shingo beat Satoshi Kojima recently and showed that he has the power to compete in the heavyweight division. Shingo showed that again tonight by giving Juice a very tough and hard-hitting fight. And on the other side of the ring, Juice Robinson came into this match still kind of adjusting to the fallout of the arrival of John Moxley. Juice lost his US title to Moxley, and that fight has sort of caused Juice to be more serious in a lot of his fights. Juice has always been able to pick up the intensity when he needs to, and he's still having fun in the ring at times, but overall, Juice seems more serious and determined after shaving off his locks and getting beat up by Moxley. I think both Juice and Shingo really needed a good start in this match, in the start of the G1 for them, and even though one man had to lose, I do think they both came off looking really strong tonight. Early in this match, Shingo hit Juice with a DDT on the floor, and that kind of set the tone for most of the match after that. After both men got back into the ring, they started hitting each other harder and harder and more and more often as the match went on. By the end of the match, they were throwing some very hard lariats at each other, often both at the exact same time. Towards the end of the match, Juice kept going for Pulp Friction, and Shingo kept getting out of it and kept frustrating Juice, and he would make Juice pay for it each time he tried to go for his finisher. I really wasn't sure who to pick personally or who I really thought was going to win this match, but Juice answered all the questions for me when he finally did hit Pulp Friction and gave Shingo only his second loss in New Japan Pro Wrestling. Now, I didn't expect Shingo to go through the G1 undefeated, but that still felt like a big loss to me. Shingo's only lost twice now since being in New Japan since his debut late last year, and both of those losses have been pretty recent. I think Shingo might have to contend with his own confidence as much as his ability to fight in the heavier weight class as this tournament moves on. And I think Juice will do well in the G1, but I think his eventual match with Moxley is going to be the biggest match for him personally, and that's probably going to be his main event throughout the entire tournament. The second B-Block match tonight featured John Moxley as he faced Tai Chi. Tai Chi came out to the ring first and was accompanied by the lovely Miho Abe. Moxley came out second, and he came in through the crowd, as he has been doing since he's been in New Japan. But Tai Chi ran out to meet Moxley, and they had a pre-match brawl outside the ring. The referee started the match while they were both outside because he wanted the match to start, so he did that so he could start the 20 count and force both competitors to get back into the ring so that they could start the match properly. If he hadn't done that, I think Moxley and Tai Chi would have been content with just brawling on the floor for 20 minutes. Now normally I would say that brawling with Moxley would be a bad idea, but it actually worked for Tai Chi, at least initially. I think the surprise of the attack really, really early, be well, well before the bell, worked in Tai Chi's favor, and Tai Chi managed to hurt Moxley's back a bit before the match ever even got started. Moxley was kind of holding his back off and on throughout the entire match, and it did impair his movement somewhat. 
However, after the match officially started with some in-ring action, Moxley took it back out to the floor. And this time they were brawling on Moxley's terms, and Tai Chi didn't fare so well anymore. Moxley used a table outside the ring, chairs were brought into the ring, and Moxley mounted a brawling comeback that led him to a probably not-so-difficult victory tonight. Though this was probably my least favorite of the tournament matches tonight, it was still an entertaining match, and it was definitely a strong start for Moxley. I think Tai Chi might need to rethink his strategy going forward of trying to wrestle someone else's match, but I also think that Moxley might need to reconsider all of his brawling and weapons and things like that, because yeah, it can win you matches, but if you put yourself in that situation, it's also going to wear on your body as well, and sound like a broken record but the g1 is so long and there's so many matches that i think a brawl every night has the potential to wear down on moxley more than he expects it to the third b block match tonight was the shortest match of the night this match featured toru yanu versus the current iwgp intercontinental champion tetsuya naito and much like it was a bad idea for tai chi to try to fight moxley in his style of match Naito made the mistake of trying to wrestle Yano in his style of match. It did start out well for Naito though. Naito was the second man to come to the ring, and he took his sweet time taking off all of his entrance attire. Naito had a cape that had to be removed, then he slowly undid his belt, then he started unbuttoning his pants, but by this time Yano was yelling at Red Shoes, the referee, to hurry up, so Naito stopped, looked over, and then stared at Yano for a bit before slowly continuing the process of removing his entrance pants. With the pants finally off, Naito turned around and started unbuttoning his shirt, only to reveal a t-shirt underneath his button-up shirt. And Yano was fed up by this point, and was Chris Charlton was on the commentary table and saying that Yano was frustrated that Naito had a shirt underneath his shirt, so Yano decided to put his shirt back on, and that would actually play a role later in the match. All the while, Naito had a slightly amused look on his face, and when the match finally started, Naito refused to lock up with Yano. He just kept pushing and pushing and pushing. Both men would go at each other in the center of the ring for a lockup, but Naito would stop short and just turn away. Naito wouldn't even look at Yano, except for like brief seconds. They did that three times, and then Yano got tired of it and ran straight to the corner for the turnbuckle pad to take it off. Yano trying to remove the turnbuckle pads switched the momentum to Yano's favor because this drew Naito into Yano's style of match. Naito can be Riley comedic when he wants to be and he even mocked some of Yano's trademarks in this match, but he maybe should have been a little bit more serious tonight. Red Shoes was also drawn into the shenanigans later in the match and at one point or another all three men had their shirts pulled up over their heads. Yano seemed in control of the later portions of the match, and he used everything at his disposal, including Naito's shirt, a low blow, and a spear to the butt to get a surprise win over the Intercontinental Champ. Yes, Toru Yano defeated Tetsuya Naito in the first round of B-Block matches. Yano ran out of the ring before Naito even realized what had happened, and with that, Naito starts his journey to winning the G1 and becoming a double champ already in a hole. I think this was a very fun match, and even though Naito is one of my favorites to win, I can't deny that I smiled quite a bit during this match. Yano is going to be a lot of fun throughout the tournament, and now Naito just has to try that much harder if he wants to get to the top. The next to last match tonight was one of the matches I was most looking forward to 
after the preview during night one of the G1. It was Jeff Cobb versus the current never openweight champion Tomohiro Ishii. This was a straightforward, super strong style battle between two guys who hit really hard and get hit really hard. The strikes came early and often, and I quickly lost count of the number of chops and elbows thrown by each man. This was a test of will as much as it was a test of endurance. Both men faced each other head on and really head first. Cobb seemed to take punishment better early in the match, but as the minutes went by, Ishii clearly started to wear Cobb down quicker than Cobb was wearing down Ishii. Cobb got a little slower reacting to their strike trading sessions, and Ishii saw that and he capitalized on that many times. Cobb would take advantage of surprise strikes though, and he caught Ishii with a punch to the jaw and a headbutt at two different points in the match, both of those moves putting Ishii down on the mat. Cobb went to his bank of suplexes later on in the match, but Ishii was hitting some of his own at that point as well. After a certain point, this match really just came down to the last big move. Both men were completely worn down, and it really could have gone either way. Ishii ended up coming out with a victory with a brain buster at the nearly 20 minute mark, and I just really enjoyed this match a whole lot. And with that, we have reached the final match of the night. The first main event of the tournament for B-Block featured Jay White with Gato versus Hiroki Goto. Now, I like both guys, but I wasn't really sure what to expect exactly in this match. Joey and I talked about on the previous mini-episode about how popular Jay White seemed to be with the fans in attendance at the Dallas show, but he seems pretty universally loathed when you see him on television. I think even if you do like Jay White, though, the way he wrestles sometimes, and especially tonight, just makes you want to see him lose. He's a great bad guy, and he really showed that in this main event match. So it's been over a decade, but Goto has won the G1 before, and he was looking for a strong start tonight. Jay White cared about none of that, though. White started the match by leaving the ring right after the opening bell and setting up a chair for Gato at ringside so he could sit down and watch. White was so arrogant throughout the match, and here he was just showing that he didn't even need Gato's help to beat Goto. Of course, that was all a ruse, and Gato did help White here and there throughout the match, but White's arrogance was the real story here. White frustrated Goto enough to get Goto off his game at times, but Red Shoes frustrated White in turn by not counting pin attempts after some of White's illegal and underhanded tactics. I think Red Shoes did kind of help Goto, because Red Shoes became a minor distraction for White later on in the match, because Red Shoes refused to just quietly go along with everything White was doing. Still, White did wrestle a very smart match. At one point late in the match, White knew that Goto was getting ready to hit some of his signature offense, so White just laid down on the mat and refused to get up. White was looking at the commentary table and smiling as he was like stomach first down flat on the mat. White did take some stomps from Goto at that time, but that's way better than the super powerful moves that Goto is known for. In the end though, Goto and the fans got some sweet satisfaction when White did eventually get caught in Goto's very strong offense. Goto beat White with GTR and won a very good main event in a very fun first night of B-Block matches. I think overall tonight, it's difficult to pick a favorite match. My initial reaction was to pick the main event, White versus Goto, as my favorite match of the night. But upon reflection, I can't choose between that 
and Ishii and Cobb and Shingo versus Juice. They're all just tops for me. I can't pick a clear winner. So those are my three favorite matches of night one of B Block tournament matches. But on the previous mini episode, when Joey and I were talking, Joey wanted my predictions for who I thought would win the tournament. And on that episode, I said that I wanted Ibushi to win, but after seeing his ankle, again, I don't know that he's going to remain highly competitive long enough to win the whole thing. I think the ankle will be an excuse for him to drop some important matches, and he's in a stacked block. I mean, both blocks are stacked, but he's got the champ over there, and some people who have already beaten him in the past. Ibushi might win, and I'd love to see it, but injuries like his ankle are really difficult to overcome in tournaments like this. Just looking at B-Block though, if I had to pick a different winner, I have two scenarios at the top of my list. First, I'd like to see Naito go all the way. He's one of my favorites, like I said, and he's always a title contender, so I think he's a pretty safe bet. Plus, I think the intrigue of seeing Naito chase double gold by having to defend both the Intercontinental title and the heavyweight title contract for nearly half a year until Wrestle Kingdom would be a ton of fun to watch. The second scenario I'd like to see is having Hiroki Goto win B block and having Kenta win A block. That would force Kenta and Goto to face in the finals of the tournament, and I think that would be a great match in itself, but it would also have a lot of personal drama. The commentators keep talking about how Goto and Shibata are friends all the way back through high school, and Shibata has a history with Kenta going back to their time as a tag team in Pro Wrestling Noah. And, of course, Shibata recently brought Kenta into New Japan, and I think a huge match between Kenta and Goto with Shibata looking on would be a fantastic story. And if that happens, I think I would have to go with Kenta as my choice to win the entire thing. So I know I'm kind of cheating and I'm picking multiple people, but hey, it's my show, I can do what I want. But the finals of the G1 Climax 29 are a long way off, and we still have 80 more tournament matches before that happens. And you'll be able to hear me talk about all of those matches on cnjradio.com, the home of the Wrestling House Show, as well as the home of the family of CNJ Radio Podcasts. From here on out, I think I'll be doing one mini-episode for every full round of block matches, so that will be one episode for every two shows aired. Then, after the finals, I do hope to do a best-of wrap-up, so if you missed the entire tournament, then you can go back and at least check out the best of the best. And you'll be able to find all of that, as well as the monthly Wrestling House Show episodes and more retro reviews on our super show on cnjradio.com. Check us out on Twitter, at House Show, and interact on our Facebook. But if you'll excuse me, night three of the G1 is starting soon. Plus I have AEW's Fight for the Fallen to Watch, Evolve's 10th Anniversary Show, and Extreme Rules is this weekend. And it's all happening over the next day or so, so I need to get to it. I'll talk to you on the next one. Bye.